Dress it up and make it real for me. <laughs> Whatever that means. Dirty something in the sky for me. Spend a day to get my mind blown. Huh? Dress it up and go to NASA. 200 miles on the dash. Got a roller pound up a gas. Switch the lanes in the Grand Rapids. We the one that kept it cool with all these Welcome to the Basket Bro Show presented by Dog Road Radio. I'm Carter and joining me is my brother Davis and after a somewhat disappointing opening weekend of the NCAA tournament. Uh, we're, but uh, just sort of a wrap up from that opening weekend. Uh, what were some of your sort of big picture, <laughs> trendy thoughts on what happened uh, after the first uh, two games of the NCAA tournament? Um, you know, as you and I talked about earlier, uh, Villanova, that was, I had a couple busts in my bracket, only two real busts. One was I had Villanova going to um, the Elite Eight to play Virginia. Uh, I thought I knew they had a disappointing season. I knew they weren't a great team, but I still have a lot of faith in the type of program that Jay Wright has built over the years at Villanova and expected them to play well. There were and still were... players on the roster who had uh, won two championships in the last three years. Yes. So yes. you expected that their veteran know-how and, you know, just they've been here before and they were good players like Phil Booth was maybe the most outstanding player in that 2017 uh, or uh, 2016 championship game against Carolina. And for his career to end like that was really disappointing where they just get blown out. Um, Yeah, so. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it was never close. It was, I mean, uh, they lost by 26, but at one point they were down by like maybe 35. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was really pretty crazy. Um, So that was disappointing and, um, you know, Carter, you had mentioned like it almost felt like a era-ending loss that the the golden age of Villanova basketball is done. Um, now, maybe not, but it wouldn't be surprised if they never, uh, or at least you know, in the next ten years are never one seat again. Uh-huh. Um, Whoa, that's other... a big call. <laughs> next ten years, well, yeah. I mean, well, the the Big East isn't what it used to be. No. No, so it really them, isn't. So for them to get a number one seed at this point, they have to have Gonzaga-like, you know, resumes. Yeah, may, maybe only two or three losses. I mean, we could probably accept that last year was the peak of the Villanova program. They had th- maybe four players drafted in the first round, won the national championship, going away. They shot like fifty percent uh, from three point in the championship game. It was just an unbelievable performance. So. I just didn't expect the come down to be this drastic. I thought maybe a Sweet yeah. 16 or Elite 8 run. Um, but getting blown out in the second round. and I mean, they got uh, troubled by St. Mary's even in the first round. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. just I hope Villanova's back because I like it when they're good. But <laughs> it really was a little bit shocking. Me too. At the beginning of the year, you'd said that they had a like highly touted recruit who didn't get a lot of playing time. Mm-hmm. 
Is that Villanova you're talking about? Yeah, I can't remember his name. He was the five star who was a little disappointed that uh, uh, Connor Gillespie was getting a little bit more playing time than him. Mm. Um, um, my other big takeaway, well, uh, you know, we can get to Florida State a little bit later, but Iowa State was my other big bust. I also had them going to the Elite Eight. And uh, this wasn't as surprising for me because they're a very mercurial team, you know, very erratic. Um, you know, but uh, I did think they were going to do better than they did. However, the big trend there, that story is the Big 12 had a super disappointing tournament because everyone in the Big 12 is now out. Oklahoma um, gets crushed by UVA. Kansas yeah. gets crushed by Auburn. Uh, Texas Tech is still in it, aren't they? No, that's true. Or that, yeah. Sorry, I keep mixing them and Texas A and M up. Texas A and M is in the SEC. Kansas yeah. State lost. That was a very disappointing loss. They lost to what was it, Oregon? Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the first round. Um. Yeah. So Texas Tech is still in it. I do not expect Texas Tech to make it past Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um. So, you know, and uh, Texas Tech probably had one of the easier roads to the Sweet 16 of um, of just about any of the three seeds, at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, Northern Kentucky and then Buffalo. Yeah. Um, Buffalo just didn't show up in that game against Texas Tech. No. But, I mean, no. credit to Texas Tech's defense because Buffalo was one of the higher-scoring teams in all of college basketball this year. So, I mean, to beat them as thoroughly as they did is uh, definitely a credit to them. So, <laughs> Uh, I mean, we'll get to Texas Tech versus Michigan a little bit later and uh, when we preview the matchups, but expect that one to be very low scoring, <laughs> like both teams <laughs> in the 50s. Uh, but yeah, other than that, just chalk dominated. Uh, yep. <laughs> basketball nerds, and something me and Davis always talk about is KenPalm.com, the statistical sort of... Uh, uh, I don't know, the nerdy sort of uh, metric analysis of college basketball teams. And all of the top 14 in his ranking made the Sweet 16. The only two that aren't in it are LSU at 19 and Oregon at 27. So nothing crazy. Like last year, like uh, Loyola Chicago was way down. They were in the 40s and there were some other ones like that. Like Kansas State wasn't really highly ranked. Um, But... (laughs) I mean, it's a credit to his algorithm because all the best teams or the teams that his, you know, rating system says are the best looked like the best teams uh, last weekend. So um, <laughs> I got a little excited and picked some upsets in uh, my predictions for the uh, the opening weekend. But it really didn't go any different than one would expect. It's all like the higher seeds. And then uh, what is it? Auburn's a five and Oregon's a 12. And those are the only non-chalk in it which aren't really surprises anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, ACC looked great too, which I mean, makes sense because they were the most highly touted conference throughout the year. Big Ten did um, well. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> um, yeah, so now we get some really exciting matchups coming into this next round, which I think – one thing that I like about the first weekend was even though there weren't that many upsets, what we what we get to see now is um, really truly some of the best teams in the country going against each other head to head. So I don't expect a lot of blowouts. I mean, Virginia, Oregon, 
um, could be a big blowout, but I'm really looking forward to a lot of tight games, a lot of good games. Yeah, so let's just go uh, through the Sweet 16 uh, game by game here. Uh, the first one, which is going to be Thursday at 7.09 Eastern, is fourth-seeded Florida State against first-seeded Gonzaga. Um, Florida State is sort of one of the stories of the tournament so far. They have been absolutely dominant in both their games. Uh, Murray State, they just looked incredible against I mean, the team that beat uh, Wofford uh, in the uh, uh, SoCon uh, tournament championship. So, <laughs> I mean, just a really complete team, really deep, crazy long, really athletic. And Gonzaga, the team I picked to win the national championship uh, before the tournament. I mean, they're known for having really good big guys, and Florida State matches up with them better than almost any other team in the country would. Yeah, I'm. You know, I think that's probably the the best game we've got coming up um, for the tournament, um, or at least in this round. Uh, Florida State almost beat Duke at full strength. Mm-hmm. Um, right? They really, I mean, they beat them, and then they kind of lost on a fluke shot at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so it's like you know, one of the kind of Ken Palm ratings is um, losses by or wins or losses by more than two or one or less than two. Um, like don't count against you. I think I got that right. It's something um, like that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's one of those games where that's kind of like a, a draw, mm-hmm. right? Statistically, um, you know, Florida State. Uh, well, then they got coached. sort of uh, manhandled in the ACC championship game, but uh, really impressive showing against UVA the night before that. So you can't hold it against them too much. Yeah, I think it's hard to beat. UVA and Duke on consecutive nights, <laughs> yeah. partially because they demand a very different approach. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, just psychologically and physically, from a coaching perspective, that's a big shift. Um, yeah, so this will be a really if they if Gonzaga makes it past Florida State, then I think they make it past Michigan mm-hmm. or um, Texas Tech as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they'll. I think Florida State is the biggest test for them until they make it to the Final Four. Um, I'm trying to look up the scoring leaders right now. Um, for Florida State? No, for the entire tournament. Because I'm interested. Uh, they're not giving me total points. They're only giving me points per game. Um, <laughs> it's not that hard to figure out. No, but I've got it. Um, yeah, so this is kind of what I expected. Uh, Gonzaga's, you know, leading scorer in the tournament is Brandon Clark with 24 points per game. Put up a monster 36 points and maybe five blocks uh, in their last game, uh, which was just crazy. And Florida State, I'm looking over this right now, has none of the top 35 leading scores in the tournament as far as points per game goes. Um, well, it's because they're so, distributing it. I mean, evenly between so many different people. Yeah, uh, so that was kind of my point. I was kind of hoping that that would uh, be the case. Um, yeah. That one of the things that it makes Florida State so uh, difficult to guard is they have so many weapons. They're bringing guys off the bench that could drop 20 in a night, um, which means if you have a game plan associated with stopping one guy, that's just futile. They're like the opposite of a Duke in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where, uh, you know, Gonzaga, I think, is 
they're definitely not like a one trick pony, but, um, you know, Hachimura who came into the season, uh, looking like a, a real talent. And, and I know Carter, you weren't as, um, taken with him as maybe the media was, but, um, Florida state's going to shut him down. Uh, and what they can do with Clark, you know, is going to be indicative of the way the game goes. Mm-hmm. If Clark is stopped, then Gonzaga is stopped. The same is not said for Florida State. Mm-hmm. So I got to give the edge to Florida State in this one. Uh, I mean, this is a really tough one to pick. Gonzaga's favored by seven and a half. So if I were to like pick someone to cover a spread, like I would definitely take Florida State in that. I don't see them losing by that much against Gonzaga. Uh, it's a really tough one to call straight up. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll just stick with Gonzaga because I picked them to win the national championship, but I, <laughs> this will be their toughest test, no doubt about it, because uh, Michigan and Texas Tech just aren't playing at the same level that Florida State is right now. And Florida State will probably be the longest and the most athletic team uh, Gonzaga's played all year, and that includes playing Duke in North Carolina. And Tennessee, mm-hmm. Florida State is mm-hmm. a crazy long, crazy athletic team filled with really good shooters who space the floor. Um, it's honestly shocking. They're it not sounds like you're PC. describing a, a perfect basketball team. Exactly, Carter. yeah. So that, like I said to Davis earlier, maybe it's something about Leonard Hamilton. Uh, if he was as outstanding of a coach as people talk about him being, maybe uh, they'd be a one or two seed here. Yeah, that, possibly. That, uh, another great that stat being I want to said, throw out. The only teams they've lost to in the last, I think, like 16 games are UNC and Duke. So it's, <laughs> it's not like they're like really struggling right now. They are like playing the best they have all season at the right time. So, I mean, <laughs> our dad has said that uh, Florida State is his sleeper Final Four pick, and that doesn't seem that crazy at this point. No, I don't but think so. But I'm sticking so. with Gonzaga because I have faith in the. Uh, and Hachimura and Clark and Killian Tilly. And I think they're just going to be, you know, it's going to be easier for Gonzaga to score than it will be for Florida State. And I just see that uh, I could see a drought coming for Florida State six, seven minutes. That's not uncommon for teams uh, in the tournament. So, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if I was totally wrong, though. So, <laughs> uh, we can move on to the next game at 729 Eastern. It's going to be the three-seeded Purdue against two-seeded Tennessee. That's in UVA's bracket. Uh, Purdue uh, looked crazy in their last game. Carson Edwards put up like 45 points uh, against Villanova, the game we were talking about earlier. I mean, for as badly as Villanova played, Purdue just like went off also. So there's not a lot they could have done to stop them. Uh, like I think they shot... What was it? Fifty three percent from three, sixteen for thirty. Like <laughs> oh, that was their crazy game. So they might have gotten all of their shots out of their system, <laughs> and they could uh, drop this one to Tennessee. But Tennessee, sort of the opposite of Purdue, who played such a great game. Tennessee was killing it in the first half against Iowa, and then let them get all the way back to tie the game and force overtime. And they're really lucky to be in the Sweet Sixteen. Um, so do you think they like take that uh, close call and bounce back with a statement victory? Or do you think they just sort of uh, succumb to the weakness they displayed in the last game and let a game slip away from in the second half? Well, I think it's worth noting that the last five minutes of basketball they played in overtime, they once again looked like a, 
you know, Final Four caliber team, and they did that um, without the Admiral. Mm-hmm. So, um, who apparently voluntarily sat himself despite not actually fouling out. Yeah, well, it's a weird well, he move. said one of his teammates, one of his teammates was on fire, and he just wanted, he thought he deserved to stay in the game. Admiral Schofield, if y'all haven't listened to any of his interviews, he's a, a super articulate young man, um, clearly understands the game. His favorite sport is soccer. Uh, and I don't know, there's something about basketball players that their favorite sport is not basketball. Um, like how they see the floor, how they compose themselves. I mean, I think it shows also. Maybe it sounds kind of strange, but kind of a level of maturity and composure. Um, so, yeah, I was super impressed at the end of the game. I think, uh, you know, my read on the situation is that uh, it's a wake-up call for them, and it's kind of a reminder that you can't... All the teams in the tournament are too good to let them breathe mm-hmm. for even two minutes of a basketball game because then teams can get in their rhythm. I don't know if that's going to be enough for them to, you know, stop the onslaught that is Purdue at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but uh, but Purdue, I, who I mean, tied with Michigan State to win the Big Ten regular season, was a pretty up and down team uh, in mm-hmm. the regular season. They had some bad losses in there. Um, they were really just carried by Carson Edwards for a lot of the season. Um, like they lost to Texas, they lost to Notre Dame, who was really not good this year, but they just beat sort of the weak teams in the big 10 and didn't, Mm. you know, they lost to Minnesota twice. (laughs) So, I mean, it really is possible. It sounds like it, like is ridiculous, but they might've used up all their shots (laughs) in their last game. Michigan state also lost to Minnesota twice. Uh, they lost to Indiana twice. So I don't know about that. (laughs) <laughs> uh, my bad. I was just getting, just getting another 500 Big Ten team who isn't really very good. Yeah. But uh, so I would take Tennessee. I have faith in them. I think they're a good team. Um, and yeah, I would complete. like to see them against UVA in the Elite Eight. I think that'd be a great game. So, um, I mean, like for the first game, I could be totally wrong, and Carson Edwards could score another 50, and he could be this year's Kimball Walker and just carry Purdue to the national championship. But uh, for my uh, viewing pleasure, I'd like to see Tennessee versus Virginia in the Elite Eight. I think that'd be a great game. Yeah, I mean, I um, I was really impressed with Grant Williams also in the the win. Mm-hmm. Who, I mean, I don't know, Admiral Schofield. I think is probably the better NBA talent on the team. But Grant Williams is back to back SEC player. Yeah, probably the year. a better college player, and a yeah. really tough matchup on the college level. Um, yeah, how, he must be what, like six eight or six nine? Maybe? Yeah, six eight. Definitely plays like a big man, so a little bit undersized, but is a pretty dominant post presence and has a nice shot on him too. Yeah, and he can score, you know, with the pull up jumper, you know, with his chest to the basket. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jordan Bone, um, uh, one of their guards, has had a pretty good tournament, and uh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I guess I'm going to take Tennessee, but um, you know, the ESPN. You know, they have this rating system, which has turned out to be pretty reliable throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of has it at a total wash. Uh, they've got Tennessee as underdogs by like uh, 0.9%. Oh, so wow. 50.9% chance Purdue wins, 
49.1% chance <laughs> wow. Tennessee wins. Really a coin toss. And Ken Palm, Purdue, is ranked 9 and Tennessee is ranked 10. So uh, that's two sort of analytical models that favor Purdue. But I, I'll stick with Tennessee. They, you know, they've got the senior upper-class leadership. Uh, this has got to be the best team Tennessee has in a long time. So it'd be that's cool true. to see them make the Elite Eight. And, it would. Uh, yeah, Purdue's just carried by one guy, as good as Carson Edwards is. Uh, I mean, they could totally lay an egg in the Elite Eight uh, if they made it that far, or the Final Four, God forbid, if they were to make it that far. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so we both picked Tennessee in that one. So the next game, which is going to be 9.39 Eastern time, is three-seeded Texas Tech against two-seeded Michigan. That is in Gonzaga's bracket uh, out west in Los Angeles. Um, like I said before, expect this to be a very low scoring game. Uh, the over under is at 126, which I think is actually a little bit high. So if you were betting over under, I'd take the under, uh, the line right now is Michigan one and a half. So pretty much a toss up as far as they're concerned. Huh. And Ken Palm, Michigan is ranked a little bit higher. They're number five. Texas tech is number eight. So this is a really high quality matchup. Um, Texas Tech, Big Ten regular season champions. Michigan, a team you were very high on earlier in the season, but uh, didn't exactly live up to your expectations. Uh, I mean, what have you seen for them so far? Do you think they can make it further? You know, to be honest, Carter, I haven't got a chance to watch a lot of the Michigan games. Oh yeah. Um, during the tournament, so kind of ashamed to say. Uh, but playing I good mean, defense held uh, their first team Montana to 55 and then Florida to 49 Florida looked totally out of sorts <clears> against them you know but I think they passed the eye test for me at the beginning of the year and what I still do love about them from the the clips that I saw of them in the tournament uh-huh. is for me they're like a, a version of UVA that plays really uh, tough defense you know uh-huh. throughout the entire shot clock but unlike UVA, is they are very willing to pounce on the fast break explosively. Um, and the way they do it is just demoralizing. Super athletic dunks. Um, they've got an energy that is, uh, I mean, it's just unbridled. Something UVA is kind of very composed, systematic, uh-huh. almost like a machine wearing you down. Uh, and Michigan has some of those qualities, uh-huh. but... Then when they pounce, it's uh, it's devastating. Yeah. Um, and you can see teams wilt from the combination of pressure and um, explosive fast break potential. Mm-hmm. But they're not as good of a shooting team as UVA, mm-hmm. um, which you know could be a big problem. Because if Texas Tech doesn't turn the ball over, if Texas Tech plays good defense, like then it's kind of just a a slogging match. Um, is who can like get some buckets to drop, who can get to the foul line. Uh-huh. Um, so I'm still going to go uh, with Michigan because I think they're kind of a sleeper to win the national championship. Ooh. Uh, I mean, it, it has to be said Texas Tech is going to have the best player on the court in the game, and Jared Culver, who a lot of people regard as a potential lottery pick, uh, who's averaged 18 and a half a game this year, leads the team in uh, points, rebounds, and assists, which is pretty crazy. Um, that is. But that also points to if Michigan can contain him, that's going to mm-hmm. take away a big part of Texas Tech's offense, while Michigan has a little bit more balance of a scoring load with uh, Braz Dikas and Jordan Poole and uh, even Teske, the seven-footer down low. Uh, I'll probably take Michigan also just because – 
I'd like UVA, they're a team that can like give someone you know a seven eight minute scoring drought and go on like a big run against somebody uh-huh. and just totally separate them. That's what happened against North Carolina earlier in the year, and they've got a great coach in John Beeline who's taken them to the national championship game twice in the last decade. Um, and you know you got to roll with them at this point. And Texas Tech, I I've never really trusted the Big Twelve. We saw how bad Kansas was. Uh, and they're the only team left in the conference. So, can, I mean, a lot of their wins are <laughs> maybe seen by hollow point. by some people. So this is going to be a really big test for them. If that being said, if they do get past Michigan, uh, they could be a real threat for the winner of the Florida State Gonzaga game. Um, but the final game of Thursday night uh, at nine fifty-seven Easter time, <laughs> the starts for these end up being crazy late. Um, 12 seeded Oregon, uh, the surprise of the tournament sort of so far against first seeded UVA, Oregon, I think are on a 10 game winning streak. They won the PAC 12 tournament. That's basically the only reason, uh, that they're here at all, but they took really (laughs) big advantage of being here, uh, with a couple big wins over, uh, Wisconsin and, uh, (laughs) UC Irvine, uh, UVA team we both really like and have liked for a long time. Uh, this seems like it's an ideal sort of matchup for them against a team that overachieved a little bit. Uh, they can sort of assert their dominance against a middle-of-the-road team, which they're really good at doing. Uh, probably the most certain I am about any team winning is UVA over Oregon. And <laughs> watch This that would be totally. a major upset. Yes, so it would just, be. Uh... I've used this metric a couple times so far uh, on the podcast tonight. Uh, ESPN's matchup predictor. Mm-hmm. So far, the other three games are within 5% chance uh, of one another. Um, two of them within uh, 1.5%, that being Texas Tech, Michigan, um, and Tennessee Purdue. Uh, this matchup is 92.8% in favor of UVA. Wow. 7.2%. For Oregon, wow! Um, so almost as big of a, uh, you know, mismatch as you could get in the Sweet Sixteen. That's like a fifteen-two or something like that. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think this is kind of a almost a no-brainer. Um, however, man, that first half of the first round for UVA was so shaky. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you never know. The way that UVA plays is sometimes they don't play like they are a number one seed. Yeah. They Even don't the play... beginning of the game against Liberty, they didn't look like they were the best team in America by any means. Uh, Liberty, I thought Liberty played oh, Virginia sorry. Tech. Never mind, against Oklahoma. Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> but then, exactly. Uh, and then they they came into their own and they ended up playing great mm-hmm. um the key for uva is well one uh ty jerome has to play well and he has been um, it's been a Kyle guy who's been. looked really bad and i think was 0 for 10 from three in their last game well if they still won like that then that's a great sign yeah um you know the other uh you know player that i really like for uva is huff brandon huff um and i think his the, well, it's not really up to Brandon Huff because whenever he's in the game, he's a threat offensively and he plays really well. But it's a question of how many minutes is Tony Bennett going to give Huff mm-hmm. uh, as we get later you know, into the... Generally, um, it's been less than 10. 
he only averages uh, 10 minutes a game, mm-hmm. Jay Huff. A guy who hasn't Jack been Salt. getting playing time this tournament is Jack Salt. He played, I think, two minutes in their last game. I think Bennett sort of realized Salt uh, is becoming almost a liability at this point because he's such an ineffective offensive force, and he's much slower than Diakite is on defense and can really get exposed if he has to guard uh, a small, you know, more agile player out of the perimeter for, like, mm-hmm. you know, any stretch of time. Yeah, Jack Salt has some usefulness against really big teams. Um, if they were to play Gonzaga or someone like that? Yeah, I think so. Uh, he's just a body, and I think he wears people down, too, because he's so strong, you know? Um, even just fighting for rebounds against him has got to be a chore for anybody. Um, yeah, but man, he looks awkward. He's not a basketball player. He's a big <laughs> athlete, but he's not a basketball player. Uh-huh. Um you know, in credit to everything he's accomplished at UVA, despite that, I don't, you know, I don't have any problems with Jack Saul. Don't kick my ass or something, Jack. Um, <laughs> After but, five uh, seasons at UVA, though, you'd expect him to, you know, be a better free throw shooter, <clears throat> passer, mm-hmm. all kinds of just basic fundamental things, which he just really, even just awareness on the court, he really doesn't show much of it at this point. No, but he has had a couple big games. You know, he had a 16-point game towards the end of the season. Um, I forget who they were playing. He had a really uh, big game in their first uh, game of the ACC tournament. Uh-huh. Yeah, and he, you know, he can make open layups, and he can score if he gets the ball close enough to the basket. He's got a couple decent post moves. Uh-huh. But Jay Huff is a complete package offensive player. He can hit threes. He's got uh, dangerous moves around the rim. Um and he's not a bad defender. Uh-huh. So um, I'm looking forward to him having a great game against Oregon and kind of warming up for, like you said, hopefully a fantastic matchup with UVA and Tennessee. Two teams in orange going at it. <laughs> yeah. So I think we're both taking UVA without much of a second thought. Uh, so we can go ahead and move on to the Friday games, which kicks off at 7.09 Eastern. With three seeded LSU against two seeded Michigan State, that's in Duke's bracket, which is uh, being played in DC. Uh, LSU has been really surprising for me. I very, very foolishly picked Yale to beat them in the first round. That was mostly based on me remembering Yale beating Baylor a few <laughs> years ago, which is not a great way to uh, pick games, but eh, whatever. Uh, but they've looked really good, and without their coach Will Wade, and I thought that would you know make more of a difference. But uh, they also had a little bit of trouble uh, in their game. Who is that against? Like uh, it's slipping my mind right now. Uh, oh uh, yeah, LSU? Maryland. Yeah, they played Maryland and almost should have lost that game. But despite that, uh, they've looked really good in stretches. Uh, they've got maybe one of the more talented rosters uh, left in the tournament. Uh, which I haven't watched them a whole lot this year, so it was a little bit surprising for me to see with, like, Nas Reid, who looks – he's huge, and he's actually a pretty good shooter. And then Tremont Waters, who's a really good point guard. Uh, Skylar Mays, Javante Smart, the guy who was uh, at the center of the controversy uh, with their head coach, Will Wade. But uh, they look uh, like a really good athletic team so far in this tournament, and – uh, against Michigan State, as crazy as it sounds, they might have the talent advantage uh, going into the game on Friday. Yeah, you know, I don't. I've never been big on Michigan State this year, um, mainly just because I don't like Tom Izzo, I suppose. <laughs> uh, 
Um, but you know, at the same time, uh, they just felt to me like a team that was getting um, a lot of hype because they were Michigan State. Mm-hmm. Um, Cassius Winston, he's a good player. Yeah, uh, you know, he gets a lot of credit. Um, you know, probably deserved. Right, seven and a half. Oh, sorry about that, Carter. Uh, <laughs> seven and a half. Seven and a half assists per game. Uh, 19 points a game, mm-hmm. but I mean, he's a little guy, six foot. Um, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what does he carry the Spartans to victory, um, and to the final four. And I, man, I just do not see them, uh, posing any matchup problems whatsoever against Duke. If it mm-hmm. you know, makes it to that stage. Mm-hmm. This um, is probably the game I'm the least excited about, to be honest. Uh, yeah. I'm not a huge fan of either team, but uh, I'd probably say Michigan State's playing better right now. Although you know LSU's shown real flashes, they <laughs> they didn't look great against Maryland, but I mean they probably will have the more talented team against Michigan State. Michigan State's really got only one outstanding player in Cassius Winston. LSU has a few guys who could really take over a game, so I'll probably pick LSU just based on that. But uh, people love talking about Tom Izzo in March, and uh, you know a win, another elite day would definitely add to his reputation. So I'd hate to see that. So more mm-hmm. than anything, I'm picking LSU for that reason. It's it's a good reason. <laughs> uh, the next game on Friday night is Auburn versus North Carolina at 7:29 Eastern. Uh, this is probably going to be the highest scoring game of the Sweet 16. The over/under for Vegas right now is 164 and a half, which comes out to like 82 points uh, per team, basically, which is really, really high, and would not be surprising if both teams are in the 90s. Um, Auburn looked crazy against uh, Kansas; they were like making all kinds of shots. Uh, scored 89 points. Uh, sort of a tough game in the first round against uh, with New Mexico State, then 78 mm-hmm. to 77. And I know you're a big body language guy, but the locker room for Auburn did not look like a team that had just won a game. So it was a little bit surprising for me that they came out as good as they did against Kansas. And as a Carolina fan, I can only hope that, like I mentioned Purdue earlier, they got all of their made shots uh, out of the way and they're due for uh, a bad shooting night against Carolina. But both teams like to push the pace and transition and historically teams that have tried to play Carolina's game have simply not been able to do it as well as Carolina and generally fall short. So that's most likely what's going to happen on Friday, but you know, they could shoot 50% from three and totally dominate, which would not be the most surprising thing either. Um, So I'm going to pick Carolina, but it's not something I feel a hundred percent confident about. Yeah, that's um, I'm pretty worried about this one to be honest. Um, so Auburn's got, jeez. Uh, so they've got uh, one, two, three, three players who get significant minutes that shoot over forty percent from behind the arc. Wow. Um, and then a couple more, uh, four more that shoot thirty-five percent or higher. So seven guys that can make three pointers very consistently. Hmm. Uh, Roy Williams' interview, um, I guess, yeah, last night, 
um, someone asked him about what he thought about Auburn, and uh, this has been one of UNC's best three-point shooting uh, seasons in school history, and they've made around 320 threes. Mm-hmm. Um, Auburn's made something like 430. Oh, wow. Yeah, so... Um, you know they're they're a dangerous team. Uh, Auburn and Purdue are the two teams that lead current Sweet 16 teams in three pointers made in the tournament with 25 apiece. Mm-hmm. Carolina <laughs> is all the way down at 19th or tied for 16th with uh, 16. Mm-hmm. So what I'm worried about is yeah maybe um, against. Um, Auburn, we run with them and we wear them down, or maybe we run with them and we get lit up by mm-hmm. three pointers in transition. <laughs> yeah, um, which is a so, real possibility. Yeah, Carolina is yeah. only favored by five. They're not heavy favorites in this game, um, as far as Ken Palm is concerned. Carolina is number six, and Auburn is number thirteen. Uh, they're both pretty highly rated offenses. Auburn is actually rated higher than Carolina's, which is a little bit surprising. That um, is a little bit surprising. It's probably because of the threes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I think this is a game where I've, I I doubt it that Carolina blows out Auburn, but I could see a kind of tragic situation where Auburn really gives it to Carolina. Because mm-hmm. um, I think one issue with any basketball team, including Carolina, is when a team starts making threes on you, it's hard to play tough defense psychologically because mm-hmm. um, you almost feel like whatever you're doing, it doesn't matter. They just need a couple inches to catch the ball in transition, and they're going to make it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you feel like you need a rush. right? I feel like if Auburn does start to rain on us, then Kobe White might get a little uh, antsy. Um you know, the size advantage that we have doesn't come into play as much with the big perimeter team like that. So uh, that being said, one statistic that's, I think, incredible, although um, maybe not that surprising as a UNC fan, <laughs> is that uh, UNC has by far the most offensive rebounds um, of any team in the tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, I the think they were is, the number one rebounding team in the country uh, during the regular season. I think, yeah, that's right. Um, you know, total rebounds, uh, North Carolina has 100 in the tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Houston and then Purdue are next with 88 and 87. Uh, Auburn, on the other hand, Auburn, oh, geez. <laughs> Can't even find them on the list. Uh, yeah, needless to say, Auburn is not a strong rebounding team. So um, if they don't hit threes, Auburn loses. If they hit threes, they win. Mm-hmm. And uh, It's about making points. shots, folks. That's what it comes yeah. down to. <laughs> I think the team that scores more points will win the game. Uh, yeah, Captain Obvious over here. No, but it's not like a, it's not wrong. I yeah. mean, that's the reason they beat Kansas. They were hitting their shots. It could have been a different mm-hmm. game if they weren't. That was one of those situations, like you said, where Kansas was like, what are we do- going to do? Because Auburn just kept hitting shots. Anytime they got within touching distance, Auburn would just make a couple threes and it would be, you know, feel like it was over. 
Okay, I finally found Auburn on the uh, the rebounding list. Auburn has 51 rebounds in the tournament. Mm. They half of have Carolina. Half, Holy crap. Half. So this could be a situation. Now, you know, that's pretty relevant because that means that if they're really that weak of a rebounding team, mm-hmm. the Carolina, we could see them getting two or three offensive rebounds on possession if they <laughs> oh, can't yeah. make their first or second shot. Oh, yeah. Um, there could be like a plus 30 kind of, rebound margin at the end of the game. Yeah, that'll be a very telling statistic because even if you know they make threes, if Carolina's offensive efficiency is 75, 80%, just because they get all their offensive rebounds, then uh, you know that could spell trouble for, for Auburn as well. Mm-hmm. So you're going to pick Carolina here? Yeah, I got to pick the heels. Always pick the heels. <laughs> So then the next game on Friday, which is at 9.39 Eastern, uh, the next game in North Car- or sorry, Washington, D.C., is four-seeded Virginia Tech against number one-seeded Duke, who barely escaped uh, against UCF. Probably should have lost. Uh, there was some questionable, questionable calls down the stretch. Uh, a lot of people thought Zion committed a charge on that uh, uh, play he got the end one on where he fouled out Taco Foul. Then R.J. Mm-hmm. Barrett definitely pushed uh, the guy in the back on the offensive rebound on Zion and missed free throw. But even yep. that being said, UCF could have made a shot at the end of the game and maybe should have and probably should have won anyway. But And then Virginia Tech, who have been pretty impressive now that Justin Robinson is back playing for him. Uh, really solid win against St. Louis in the first round. And then a tough game against Liberty in the second round where Liberty looked like they were playing really good defense, keeping it. Uh, they had the lead for a lot of it, but then Tech just sort of wore them down at the end, uh, just hitting shots, playing really good defense. There was a long stretch for Liberty, didn't score. Uh, but about a month ago, you know, Tech beat Duke. Uh, they didn't have Zion, but Tech didn't have Justin Robinson. So this is uh, going to be a really fun rematch. This is probably the game I'm second most excited for behind Florida State Gonzaga. But uh, there's a very real chance that Tech can win this game. Uh, are you thinking Tech gets it done, or is this uh, it's just too big of a challenge for them to take on Duke? Uh, as from a coaching perspective, what I'm really interested in watching this game is to what degree Virginia Tech implements the kind of junk but very effective defensive scheme that UCF used against Duke. Mm-hmm. For those of y'all that didn't catch that game, UCF did something that I've never seen at you know, this level of college basketball where they essentially decided to not defend two players for Duke, mm-hmm. uh, Goldwire and, um, and Jones, mm-hmm. uh, two of their perimeter players mm-hmm. said, we'll give them whatever three pointer they want. We won't even contest it. We won't even try to get in the passing lane. <laughs> We're just going to help side on the, the real threats, mm-hmm. Cam Reddish, Barrett, and of course, big man uh, Zion. Mm-hmm. And it really worked for a lot of the game. I mean, it Trey did. Jones went one for eight from three, which is just awful, considering a lot of them were wide open shots. And I mean, even Zion uh, went only fifty percent from the field, which for him is unheard of when he shoots eighty percent for the whole regular season. So for him to go twelve for twenty four is a little bit startling. And then R.J. Barrett, of course, uh, never shoots a high percentage with 6 for 15. So, I mean, they just let Duke shoot. And Duke is not a great three-point shooting team. I think uh, a lot of people were talking about how 
no team has ever shot as bad as Duke has from three, which I think is around 31% and that has gone on to win the national championship. So that could really be something that, you know, leads to their demise against Virginia Tech, who really could use that as a blueprint and just pack in the lane where they've got a little bit of size with uh, Blackshear and some really good athletic defenders. Uh, mm-hmm. But <laughs> Zion, though, you know, it's hard to pick against him. But Duke really doesn't run much offense. It's really just, you know, Cam Reddish, R.J. Barrett, and Zion Williamson just getting whatever shots they want and every once in a while passing to a teammate. While Tech is a real team, a lot of upperclassmen, guys who have played together for a long time and might be playing with house money at this point. Like, you know, this is a team they've played a few times. They're in the Sweet 16 in Washington, D.C., so there might be a lot mm-hmm. of Tech fans there. So, <laughs> I mean, let's get crazy. Let's pick Tech to win this game. <laughs> uh, I mean, Duke is everybody's favorite. They're one of the biggest favorites in college basketball in recent memory. But I think the last thing they wanted to see was an ACC team at this point. Yes. And I think Tech might be the perfect team to take them down. Yeah, I think, you, yeah, I think you're right, Carter. Um you know, I'm very interested. There's something very uh, – you have to have a lot of humility, though, to mm. play the type of defense that Central Florida did against Duke. you got to say we're not going to beat them mano-a-mano, playing a normal man-to-man or zone style. So we're going to throw a crazy junk defense at them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's kind of a concession there that Duke has the better players, which is, of course, obvious. Mm-hmm. But I think it's something that a lot of coaches are kind of reticent to – to, you know, it takes a certain kind of motivation for your players um, to say, hey, these guys are better than you, but our plan is better than theirs. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. I have a hunch that they're not going to go the UCF route and try to play them in a more standard way, which could backfire because mm-hmm. what that allows is Zion to be Zion. Now, granted, Oh, Davis, what are you talking about? They didn't shut down Zion. Zion scored 32 points. <laughs> if any, like, uh, like um, you know, Stephen A. Smith to Max Kellerman, like, I would say if you said that to me, you did not watch the game because uh, <laughs> Zion did not look like the threat Zion normally is. Especially Granted, he was playing against a seven-foot-six guy. Yeah, but Blackshear, he's not seven foot six, but man, if they he's long do that and same he's, scheme, he's much quicker than Taco Fall. <laughs> exactly. And he's not gonna get in foul trouble the same way Taco Fall did. Well, he does tend to make really dumb well, fouls, so he'll okay. have to be very disciplined against Duke. I mean yeah, that's a big used... part of the game is does he stay out of foul trouble? Does he get to play more than thirty minutes? Because sometimes he'll play less than twenty because he sits the last ten minutes of the first half because he's already got three fouls, so I mean, and that well, might I'm, be something that Duke really goes at him with Zion. Mm. So, well, technically, to go at Zion. Zion yeah. played forty minutes against yes. UCF. Yeah. You can't afford to have Zion on the court the entire game. You have to get him in foul trouble. I would even go so far as to say that every possession, um, whether or not they drive in every possession, they at least have to attack the paint mm-hmm. towards Zion every time they've got the ball. That doesn't mean you're looking to drive and score, but at least attack the paint and then kick it out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, get Zion under pressure. Make him feel like he's targeted on defense instead of going away from him. <laughs> yeah. You know, you allowing don't him to do points. the help side 
total showtime blocks that he uh, does so often. Yes. Yes. You don't get points for blocking shots. As you know, fun as they are to watch, uh, they don't win basketball games. Um, don't let him get those help side blocks by just attacking him head on. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the way you um, stop a shot blocker is you attack him to the chest. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's kind of a David Goliath story, not just with Virginia Tech versus Zion, but Justin Robinson versus uh, Zion. <laughs> yeah. Um, that was a slip. Uh, Virginia Tech versus Duke, but we all know that it's not Virginia Tech versus Duke. Yeah. It is Virginia Tech versus Zion. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think I'm going to go with Virginia Tech as well. It there just, we go. It would be too fun to pass up on that. And it's pick. too easy to pick Duke. Yeah. Where's the fun in that? And then the last game on Friday at 9.59 Eastern, which is probably going to end up being closer to 10.20. <laughs> Is the three-seeded Houston versus two-seeded Kentucky. That's in Kansas City and UNC's uh, region. Uh, Kentucky, a team that really could have lost against Wofford, had uh, their three-point shooter McGee not gone, what was it, 0 for 11, taking just some awful, awful shots. Uh, And if he had even made two or three of them, uh, Wofford would have won that game. And then Houston, who, uh, hands up, I didn't really watch too much this regular season, but finished the season with only three losses and have looked pretty good. Uh, I mean, granted, they've had to play a 14 seed and 11 seed in Ohio State and Georgia State, but uh, they really handily won both games. The first one was by 30. The second was by 15. And Kentucky hadn't looked great. So uh, this is one where I really could see Houston winning. Uh, I mean, Kentucky's a big-name program, and two seed everybody saw them playing Carolina in the elite eight but uh at this point I mean Kentucky's the three-point favorite but I honestly see Houston as uh maybe the team that's playing better right now and the team that I'm gonna pick to win this game and to play Carolina in the elite eight Mm. yeah I mean they're definitely playing better than Kentucky right now Kentucky's also been kind of hot and cold throughout the season Mm -hmm. uh PJ Washington Right is uh, potentially not going to play in the game. Mm-hmm. Kentucky's leading scorer. He's didn't got play in the injury. first two games. Yeah. So, um, so without him in the lineup against a team that's hot like Houston, then yeah, you got to go with Houston. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, once again, I, I don't know that much about the matchup. I don't know that much about the teams. I haven't followed either one of them that closely this mm-hmm. season. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I'm going to pick Kentucky. Here's why. Oh! I want, I want UNC real to time play. saw Davis's mind working in this intricacy. <laughs> I want UNC to play Kentucky. I but want the UNC... rematch of the Luke May game. And uh, yes. Oh, avenging of the game in Chicago in December where Carolina yes. looked awful. They beat, us, they beat us in December. Carolina played bad. Um, I want it'll be a huge confident booster for the Tar Heels to beat Kentucky, one of the only teams to beat them all year. Um, and I want to beat Kentucky and UVA and Duke in the same national championship run. I mean, historic, <laughs> historic, one of the best championship runs of all time. Despite Duke so, uh, losing to Virginia Tech in the Sweet Sixteen. Ah, yeah, well. <laughs> this is one of those I pick Tech to win, but I pick Duke to make the Final Four. Yeah. 
Uh, hedging, hedging. But yeah, I mean, the chalk from the first two rounds has led to some really good matchups in uh, the Sweet 16. And the ESPN thing you're using said basically like half of these games are coin flip games. The mm-hmm. only ones that are real sort of heavy favorites are uh, Carolina, UVA, Gonzaga to a certain extent. And then I think Duke is not a huge favorite, but definitely a favorite. And the rest mm-hmm. of the games are really big toss-ups, which could go anyway. Uh, so <laughs> if I was a gambling man, I would probably avoid a lot of these, except for maybe the over-unders, because these are going to be really tough to call. And some of the spreads, like Florida State, I think, is definitely not going to lose by over 7.5 against Gonzaga, but... You know, they could have a cold night and lose by 10. So, but you know, that's gambling. Uh, <laughs> don't gamble. Gonzaga, it's illegal in a lot Gonzaga of states. Gonzaga could also get blown out by FSU. Well, yeah. I think there is a chance that that happens. I mean, that's uh, so just let's. Which three games are you most looking forward to? Is it what I said before? Florida State, Gonzaga, uh, the first game on Thursday, Duke, Virginia Tech on Friday, and then uh, UNC. Or is it going to be the Tennessee game against Purdue? Which one would you say is the the third game you're most excited for? Yeah, the first two, I'm with you. Um, and then the third game, I think the Auburn-UNC game is going to just be a barn burner of scoring. Uh, and that's why, even from a neutral perspective, I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um which one am I most intrigued by the matchup? I think uh, Michigan-Texas Tech mm-hmm. is actually the one. going to be a real chess match. That's fun for the basketball purists. <laughs> like good defense, <laughs> yeah. guys slapping the floor, made free yeah. throws. And I think it'll tell us both of the – whichever team wins, the way that they win will tell us a lot about um, their future for the rest of the tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh I guess that's true for every team, but in particular with them, like I want to see some offensive spark mm-hmm. uh, from Michigan. If they aren't able to do that, if they kind of, if they do only win by, if they win fifty-six to fifty-two, then I think they lose. Whether it's, uh, you know, Florida State or Gonzaga that they play next, mm-hmm. but if they can, you know, score in the seventies against a team like Texas Tech, then I think Michigan mm-hmm. might be a real. Uh, contender to do something big yeah if Braz Dikas wakes up who's had a little bit of a quiet tournament uh, I mean Michigan could be a really threatening team they're a team that at one point of the season looked like they might have been the best team in the country even better than UVA or Gonzaga so I mean I'm really excited uh sort of a disappointing first weekend but hopefully that leads to an incredible second weekend uh potentially really awesome elite eight matchups I'm really hoping for UVA Tennessee UNC Kentucky would be crazy. We could get Michigan State, Duke, Gonzaga versus Michigan. So uh, this is an exciting weekend. Uh, in a lot of ways, this is better than the opening weekend, despite all the hype that gets. But we're really looking forward to it. Thanks for listening to us. Uh, I hope you didn't listen to any of our picks for the first weekend because, well, I don't know. Davis didn't get too many wrong. And our final four was 13 for 16. 13 for 16 in Sweet 16. And all of our final four. It only puts me at 44% in the the world. So I don't know. I don't feel too great about it. But (laughs) But thanks uh, for listening. We'll probably have a show next week uh, to wrap up and preview the final four. Uh, so we'll be back with you next time. Peace. Back in
the days on the boulevard I landed We used to kick routines and the presence was fitting It was I, the abstract And me the five footer I kicks the mad style so step off the frankfurter Yo Fife, you remember that routine That we used to make spiffy like Mr. Clean Um, um, a tidbit, um, a smidgen I don't get the message so you got to <laughs> okay. run the pigeon You're on point Fife All the time tip You're on point Fife All the time tip You're on point Fife All the time tip So then grab the microphone and let your words rip Now here's a funky introduction of how nice I am Tell your mother, tell your father, send a telegram I'm like an energizer cause you see I last long My crew is never ever whack because we stand strong Now if you say my style is whack, that's where you're dead wrong I slay that body and El Segundo, then push it along You'll be a fool to reply the fight was not the man Cause you know... <laughs>